0: On today's episode, we are speaking with Dr. Emily Krauss, phys expert and current clinical assistant professor at Stanford Children's Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. Dr. Krauss is board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation and takes a unique approach to the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of sports injuries. She is also super involved in the athletic community, Dr. Krause proudly grew up as a three-sport high school athlete in a small town in Nebraska, and now is an avid runner and cyclist. She has competed across nine marathons, including Boston Marathon twice and California International Marathon in 2019 with a personal best of two hours and 50 minutes. As an athlete herself, she recognizes how sport participation plays a valuable role in the physical, emotional, professional, and social development of an individual. She is committed to maintaining these ideals for the future generations of athletes. She is involved in multiple Stanford IRB-approved research projects that focus on female athletes. Her clinical interests lie in endurance sports medicine, bone health, running biomechanics, adaptive sports, and overall support of female athletes. In this episode, she shares tips with us on how we can prevent RED-S, the female athlete triad, and bone health issues by improving our nutrition and recovery habits. We also dive deep into and discuss her newly launched FASTER program at Stanford. Welcome to the Voice in Sport podcast, Emily. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me, Steph, and voice in sport. (laughs) I mean, I'm so excited to talk to you about so many things today. Your background as an athlete, as a doctor, and somebody who's part of the Viz community, you have so much knowledge to share with us. So can't wait to get into it. And we're really going to go deep in female athlete triad, red S, bone health, and injury prevention. So I wanna start though with your own personal experience. You know, you you grew up in a state as well that's a little bit off the radar like mine, Nebraska, not Alaska. So, but you were also a three sport athlete. And I wanna kind of go back to your personal experience as an athlete at a younger age. How did you get into sports and why did you pick those three sports?
1: Yes, I love going back to my roots, first of all. And I, um, yes, I'm a Nebraskan at heart. I was proudly born in a small town in in Nebraska called Holdridge. And I actually spent the first 26 years of my life in that state. I feel really lucky to have been exposed to a lot of different sports growing up. I actually just looked up this old photo of my t-ball team. And I have this photo of me rounding the bases, like it's with these jorts on and this oversized cotton t-shirt, and I am just beaming ear to ear. And I feel like that should be how everyone's first experience with sports should be like, where it's fun, it's a team, there are popsicles at the end of each game and practice. And it's, I think there's a way to kind of carry that through as the um, sport evolves, and as the athlete grows up, and my my main sports that I played in high school were cross country, basketball, and tennis, which was a lot of different a lot of different sports, some individual, some team sports, and I loved them all. I played golf in the summertime too, and we were a very active family, and so every day we would maybe be, be playing tennis as a as a family, or we're going out on the golf course, or shooting hoops with my dad in the early mornings, and. I learned a lot about myself through that, about self-discipline, and there was something to be said about living in a small town where I was able to play all those sports all four years of high school and really um, be able to dedicate that time to that sport. and. Now, as I'm working as a physician at Stanford Children's and seeing a lot of athletes who come into my clinic, it's a little bit of a different story where there might be a single sport that they play all year round. And that dynamic has changed to some degree. So I make a point of really encouraging the athletes to consider diversifying their sports and continuing to experiment and sample. And I think that may help with some of those questions of burnout and those overuse injuries and some of the other injuries that we may see when they do kind of take that moment to sample another sport because they may have a lot of fun playing tennis or picking up a a golf club and
0: swinging it around for a while. I love that. So you're in the office all the time seeing young athletes come into your clinic. I think that must give you such a great perspective on what these young athletes are facing every day. So for the girls that are listening to the podcast today, what do you wish you could whisper to like, all of those young athletes that come into your office, you know, something consistent that you wish you could tell them about their journey, you know, to have a positive impact on them. Cause I'm sure, you know, you, you have parents coming in there with the kids. You don't always get to like, just say, Hey, you know, like stick with it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you could share with our audience, what is one thing that you wish you would whisper to all of those young athletes that come into your office?
1: Oh, just one thing. Oh man. It's hard to just narrow it down to one, but I think it's important for those athletes to realize that tomorrow is one day, but we need to think about the future and the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years of their active life and what habits they're doing now actually can have an effect in 10 years. And that's hard for that athlete to really process because they're thinking about tomorrow's game they may not be able to participate in, but there are going to be more games And if this injury is handled properly, and if we can really get to the root of the problem, which sometimes requires peeling the onion quite a bit, they'll get back and they'll get back stronger. So it's really hard because I think sometimes when an athlete comes in with an injury, they've got these walls up, they're upset, they're frustrated, they're either angry at me or angry at their parent for bringing them into the clinic to get that diagnosis, But it's the long game that we really want to focus on. And we want to keep these athletes in sport. So that's, I guess, one piece of advice is it's not just about that next game or tomorrow. It's about the future of their athletic life.
0: I love it. That's so important. Well, you talked about something so critical, which is trying different sports when you're younger and, you know, exploring. I mean, some of the best Olympians that we have on the podcast maybe didn't even get into their sport until they were like 20 or into college. So I think that there's so much power in trying different sports and seeing the benefit across doing multiple. And you're actually a good example. I mean, you didn't go on to the Olympics and win a medal, (laughs) but you are still an active runner yourself, ultra distance, and you're super into cycling. You know, how do you think being involved in the three different sports that you have essentially sort of created as your craft, how do you think it has affected your body in the long term. Because I would imagine being in three sports is positive in on one side, because we get to work on different muscles, groups and stuff like that. But then it could probably be pretty tough on your body too. So, you know, just kind of curious on if you noticed the sports that you're in, how it has affected your body.
1: Mm. I forgot to even mention one of the earlier activities that I did, which was ballet. I did ballet for a few years. And I remember my mom commenting that when I would run down the basketball court, I would like bound like a ballet dancer. (laughs) So I I will say that all of those different sports can help influence and in a positive way each other. And for example, I believe strongly about some degree of participation in sports that involve multi-directional movement patterns. So I think like playing basketball and playing tennis helped build my bones for kind of long-term bone health, potentially more than just running and the more repetitive impact of running. And I think there was a protective component, even though I don't play a lot of basketball and I wish I played more tennis now, but I now run pretty consistently. And so the bone building effects of that multi-sport participation was really helpful and protective. And another thing, just as far as just my love of running, I would say my first love for sports is running, but I really do enjoy all sorts of cycling, gravel, mountain bike, road. But my love of running, I think I was able to hold on to that and really kind of grow that love throughout high school, college, med school, through kind of this gradual build and increase in in running. So I participated in running for a season in high school, and then I went to a different sport. And I think it really protected me from some of the overuse injuries that I do see in the year-round runners that come into my clinic. And I know it's really hard because these athletes, they they love to run. And so me telling them to run less is just almost like nails on the chalkboard as far as delivery. And I think that they could really try other sports that can complement. I have an athlete who does some rock climbing. I have another athlete who um, does some swimming just to really kind of build that kind of full body strength and
0: that core strength and endurance. I love that. So how did being involved in running or just sport in general impact your career decisions? And how did you eventually end up deciding to focus on female athletes and sports science?
1: Yeah, so I was one of those rare birds who knew they wanted to go into medicine at a pretty young age. By the time, I think it was seventh or eighth grade, one of my science teachers really struck me as someone that I wanted to be like. And she, Mrs. Bricker, shout out to Mrs. Bricker if she's listening to the Voice and Sport podcast. So I, I love the sciences. I knew that I loved being active. I was a very active child and a teenager. And so I wanted to find this way to combine the science and physical activity and in high school i started to shadow a lot of the primary care doctors and family medicine doctors in my hometown and i really appreciated the ability of their practice and what they could do to impact the lives of the patients that they saw and there was a continuity there that i really appreciated as well where they could see that that patient grow and so i wanted to be able to make that type of impact and so my love of Athletics really motivated my pursuit to explore more of a sports medicine direction, and I actually thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon for for quite a while. So during high school, through college, through three years of my med school, I was on this track to become an orthopedic surgeon, and I thought that I wanted to be a team physician for a professional football team specifically the Denver Broncos, because that was one of the closest football teams to to Nebraska. And I thought that was kind of the the way that I treated athletes. My mind wasn't even broadened out enough to really see the delivery of care to female athletes like myself. And I had a couple of injuries where I would see physicians, but I didn't put it together that I could be in that type of a role in the future. So I eventually realized that I didn't want to be an orthopedic surgeon. I wanted to hold it more of a comprehensive type position to treat athletes. So really look at all the different factors that could be contributing, including nutrition, training habits. What's your shoe wear? Are you doing any strength training? What's your sleep like? And I took the approach of pursuing a field called physical medicine and rehabilitation or physiatry that really takes that comprehensive approach to the care of all patients And that's where I really fell in love with exploring and trying to ask both the right clinical question, but also then study that through research. And through that, got involved in some research studies, which I think we'll talk about, that really opened my mind to the need to care and better understand the female athlete. And through that, I started to do more clinical care for the female athlete and more research for the female athlete. So it's kind of this very kind of circuitous, tangential way to get to um, this field. But it started at a pretty young age. And my exposure to sports and athletics during those times really made me understand the importance of physical activity and sports participation, both for just kind of the health benefits, but also just like life skills and overall career direction.
0: I love that. Well, now we have another thing in common because I also wanted to go to school to study sports medicine. But once I got to school and had my first organic chemistry class, (laughs) I realized, you know, not so much. So I want to ask you about what is the, you know, skills and education that you really feel like you need to be successful or good in this field? Because, you know, I'm a good example where I took one class and I was like, oh, I'm going a different direction. And that probably was the right call for me. But for young women today who are in college and they're thinking about getting into sports science and research or even the medical field specifically for sports, what would you say to those girls are the most important aspects they need to be considering?
1: Yeah, organic chemistry. That will get you. I still have have some post-traumatic stress from some of those organic chemistry tests, but I survived. I'm here. I would say, I think you had it like this really deep interest and passion to pursue this field. And I think you need to have that fire. You need to have a strong desire to really commit to a bit of a long-term, longer track. And I think I was fortunate to not really have blinders on because I still explored other careers throughout that time. But I knew in my gut that this was something that I would continue to love and be good at. And I had the knowledge, the background and the experience and kind of that mindset and determination to get through those painful organic chemistry classes. And some of those other classes, even during med school, where you really you kind of hit some low points that can almost break you. And not to scare people <laughs> because I think you learn a lot about yourself during those moments too where you're like, okay, how can I get through this with performing at my best while still maintaining my my sanity. And so I think that my coping mechanism was running and My outlet was to go on runs to kind of process or just completely escape from the the stress of an exam and take that brain break and get out some of those nervous jitters or pretest jitters. And that helped me kind of level out as far as just being prepared and being organized. So I think having that balance and that drive are important pieces. I mean, really having a love of the science and a love of those topics that you're going to be getting exposed to and learning about for hours and hours on end, and being willing to kind of commit to the long haul for a longer career track where the rewards are going to be different than maybe the compensation or the adult job. That adult job is going to come a little bit later than, than maybe in other careers.
0: Well, I love that full circle. I didn't continue on that track, but you did. And now here we are trying to solve really the same problem, but from a different angle, right? I'm creating a company to support it. I ended up going the sport business route and and you went the sport medicine route. And I think what's really cool is when you then find partners like we have in ourselves and the other women involved at Viz to then figure out how do you make something great that will help these young girls in their journey? So although I sucked at organic chemistry, I'm proud to say that I was okay on some of the business classes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And here we are, you know, making something great together. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the incredible projects you're working on at Stanford, specifically focusing on female athletes and the gender gap, which is still very much real. The gender gap is real in sports science. The gender gap is real in sports. So I think that in this area of sports science and research for women in particular, we have a lot of room to To really grow and to accelerate. So can you explain to us what the FASTER program is and the goal of the program? Yes.
1: Also, Steph, I wanted to just share that if you are willing to teach some business classes, some sports business classes, I am all ears. So I'll be first row in the classroom,
0: taking all the notes, asking all the questions. Amazing. Well, we can swap. We can have exchange classes. Perfect.
1: All right, so FASTER, this is new. This is a program that I am so excited to introduce to the world, and it's really been fun to get involved with over the past year. And so FASTER, first of all, stands for Female Athlete Science and Translational Research. And Steph, as you mentioned, we focus on addressing this gender gap that's um, still present in human performance and research today in women in sports. Our main focus at the beginning is really talking about early identification and interventions to treat the female athlete triad and prevent the female athlete triad, and also relative energy deficiency in sport, or REDS, and really trying to find ways to improve the health of girls and women of all abilities through both athletic participation and performance. We're really also hoping to translate this research and information and get it into the hands of athletes, coaches, other practitioners in the community so they can really learn and help spread this good information. So this program is a research program that's at Stanford, and we are in close collaboration with Harvard. Harvard has an amazing female athlete program led by Dr. Kate Ackerman. And it's been really rewarding to be able to work with her more consistently on these projects and find ways to collaborate. And I really just soak up her mentorship. She has a lot of experience in both the clinical care and research of women in sport. And it's been a journey that's just beginning and I'm excited to just continue to pursue these projects and this learning and growing with her.
0: I love that two different universities came together to create this program. I always think when you can partner with the right folks across different organizations, it can really accelerate the change. And I want to talk a little bit about that change and that gap. Like, why do you think that gap exists in the first place and what brought the two organizations together to get after this?
1: Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I would not be directing this faster program and Um, I wouldn't be collaborating with Harvard if it wasn't for this bigger initiative from the WUSAI Human Performance Alliance. So there is a multi-center effort or initiative to really look at answering questions on health and human performance of all athletes. We are so fortunate to have been included in this larger initiative um, through this FASTER program and the Harvard program. So big shout out, and you can check out Lusai Human Performance Alliance and learn a lot more about some of the other projects and innovation hubs that they're also really trying to tap into and better understand for athletes of all ages. But specifically with female athletes, there has been a gradual, then rapid increase in female sports participation, especially around the time of Title IX. And so with that increase in female sports participation, there's been this need to better understand these physiological differences between sexes so we can better understand the injuries, treat those injuries, and both improve health and performance and longevity in sport. And unfortunately, a lot of the research out there still on athletes is primarily about male experiences. And we are really working on trying to close that gap as far as knowing how those injuries present, how we should diagnose them differently, treat them differently, and really understand the unique risk profile of a male or female athlete and how that differs between sport, how that differs among the ages. So an adolescent athlete or a prepubertal athlete is going to present differently and going to need different management than um, an adult athlete or a master's athlete. So we really need to close that gender gap in all those different levels. And I mean, there are so many different areas and research questions that we can ask. And I think one of the challenges that I have right now is where do we start Who do we collaborate with? And it's been super exciting and challenging to kind of narrow that focus to really get to the important questions early and then kind of build on those.
0: Well, I think it's amazing. And it's also a big reason why we started the Voice and Sport Foundation, because I think we need more focus and we need to accelerate these areas. So we're really excited to support any of the work you guys do there. And hopefully with the research that you guys are going to be doing, that gap will Become smaller and smaller and smaller in the future. So if you take a step back and think, okay, five years from now, what is the impact that you hope the FASTER program will have on female athletes?
1: Yeah, the big five-year, 10-year vision would really be that we have a system in place to translate this information and the fundamentals is already in the hands of coaches, parents, athletic trainers, athletes, and now we're starting to get to more of those specific research questions revolving around the menstrual cycle, revolving around how to really screen an athlete from just an early age to prevent these more devastating injuries, such as a bone stress injury or overuse injury to the bone, like a stress reaction, a stress fracture, or even an ACL injury, both pretty much season ending or a year ending or even career ending in certain athletes. So those are the big goals. So starting with really getting that information out in a way that's very systematic and accurate and efficiently delivered. So we don't expect coaches or parents or athletes to read all of the manuscripts that we're writing, but it's our obligation to continue to translate that just as much as it is to do the research too
0: thank you for listening to the voice and sport podcast my name is elizabeth martin a soccer player at emory university and producer of this week's episode if you enjoy hearing from emily
1: kraus and would like to get the chance to talk to experts like her go to voice join to sign up for a free membership and gain access to exclusive episodes mentorship sessions and other weekly
0: content don't forget to follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at voice in sport now let's get back to the episode I love that. I think it's so important. So let's talk a little bit about the athletes specifically. I mean, you're a runner yourself. I know you worked on a project, the Healthy Runner Project that interviewed quite a few collegiate athletes and high school athletes. And so can you explain the why behind the Healthy Runner Project and what you learned? So Healthy
1: Runner Project is a project that's very near and dear to my heart because it was my first project when I got to Stanford from Nebraska. And it was... At that stage, we were doing these retrospective chart reviews to fuel the research for the actual study. And Dr. Fredrickson, who's the principal investigator, as well as Dr. Aurelia Ative at UCLA, Dr. Fredrickson's at Stanford, he trusted me to be the research coordinator as a resident, and I'm lucky to still be involved with it now. So this was back in 2016 when this started. And the Healthy Runner Project is a four-year prospective study at Stanford and UCLA looking at whether a nutritional intervention to increase energy availability could help improve overall bone health, specifically bone mineral density, and prevent overuse injuries and bone stress injuries. And so through that, we did these pre-seasoned screens that were pretty comprehensive. We did questionnaires in addition to the questions that the athletes would fill out through their pre-participation physicals. And we got extensive menstrual cycle history. Did the athlete have a period, not a period? Are they on any oral contraceptive pills or any other type of hormonal replacement? Do they have any um, their injury history specifically or especially bone stress injuries and any other um, disorder of eating history, which was really obtained from a, a sports dietitian with experience and accreditation asking those types of nutritional related questions and then we would categorize an athlete as low moderate or high risk based on the female athlete triad cumulative risk assessment and that would help us understand the degree of nutrition intervention that that athlete may need over the course of that season and so the study is to determine whether that nutritional intervention actually reduces the incidence of bone stress injuries and stress fractures But some of our preliminary research did find that those scoring tools that we use, those preseason scoring tools, which were still at the time of implementation, they did actually predict future bone stress injury risk. So the, the screening tool was important. And now the question is, how do we use that screening tool to prevent those consequences from happening
0: or manifesting down the road? That's amazing. Well, some of our athletes at VIZ uh, were part of that study at UCLA. So when we were preparing for this podcast, they were all excited about that. They were like, wait a minute, I was there. I was in that study. (laughs) Um, Thank you for participating. (laughs) Yes, it's amazing. It's so important. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about bone health because this is an area I think that we don't talk enough about until it breaks. So just at the highest level, you know, what do female athletes need to know about their bones before they get in a place where they get a stress fracture? What would you say highest level female athletes need to know about their bones?
1: Well, I may be biased, but I think understanding bone health and bones are important for our livelihood and they keep us upright. We're sitting with, because of our bones, we are walking, we're running, we're active because we have healthy, strong bones that are keeping us upright and we have, hundreds of them in our body, they are continuously remodeling, so they're, they're breaking down and then they're rebuilding, and that's part of this beautiful process that allows our bones to continue to grow and allows us to get taller and break down every time we, we exercise and we, we run. But I think it's important to also realize that there is a fine balance between that bone building and bone breakdown, and that evolves over time. And especially in the adolescent athlete, these are their peak bone building years. And, and so we need to do everything possible to optimize that time. And, and so that's the one of our big focuses, both in my clinic and, and in our research, to make sure athletes realize that if they come in with a broken bone, it may not just because they landed wrong or they trained too hard. It could be related
0: to other factors, such as their nutrition. Well, I think it's really important to note that, especially in an area that you're really passionate about, running and ultramarathoning, that a third of ultramarathon women, so like that's roughly 37%, have had major stress fractures. So you know, unfortunately, this is an area for runners that is just really prevalent. And I think that I want to help these young girls understand what they can do to prevent this from happening. And we're going to talk about Red S and Female Athlete Triad, but if we can just focus for one minute on. Three tips that a female athlete can take today to ensure they have good bone health?
1: You got to fuel your body. You got to think about what you're putting into your body and not just overall intake, but think about some of those micronutrients too. And think about the calcium, the vitamin D. And there are a lot of different diets out there. And I'm not going to preach one diet over the other, but I do think that understanding how to get the optimal nutrients to allow those bones to build with the right. The minerals and those nutrients is super important. And then I talked about um, previously the multidirectional activities and another reason to diversify sports and sample other sports that might be different than just running or swimming. So participation in ball sports has been shown to have a protective effect on future bone stress injury risk or stress fracture stress reaction risk. So I do encourage that. And maybe an athlete's like, I don't like ball sports, I'm not going to be forced into it. There are other things, different plyometric activities and other activities they can do to help build, build that bone strength. And I also think that weight training and strength training is a great way to continue to optimize bone health through every decade of life. And that may look a little differently in high school compared to an athlete in her 40s, but
0: I still think it's super important. I love it. Thank you. I think it's so critical. I wish I would have had these tips when I was younger. So <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that. So let's go into one of the areas that you guys are really going to go deep in with the FASTER program, and that's Red S and the Female Athlete Triad. I just want to start at the highest level. Are they the same thing? Is there differences? I heard that, you know, Female Athlete Triad is sort of the old way to talk about it. Red S is the new way to talk about it. So can you break down those two for us and help us understand just what exactly they both are?
1: I'm so glad we're talking about this. I wanted to take one more step back or I guess a broader look and talk about low energy availability, because that's really at the foundation of both. So low energy availability occurs when athletes don't consume enough energy to account for the exercise and the body's natural processes, such as metabolism, as well as growth and development, especially in adolescence. So over time, if that low energy availability becomes more of a chronic issue, that can cause these two conditions um, that are very similar to each other, the female athlete triad and relative energy deficiency in sport. So starting with the female athlete triad, that includes low energy availability, and this may or may not include an eating disorder, impaired bone health, whether that's low bone mineral density or bone stress injuries, and then menstrual dysfunction, which may mean delayed or irregular periods. So the concept of the female athlete triad started back in the 1980s, and the term was actually coined in the 1990s. And then in 2014, the International Olympic Committee put out a consensus statement on relative energy deficiency in sport. And so at that time, they expanded the triad further on and really included the other negative physiologic and performance consequences from that low energy availability beyond just that reproductive um, hormonal suppression seen in the triad. And so those effects can include impaired metabolism, recovery, immunosuppression, and many other different systems, both from a health and performance effect. So another thing I think it's important to realize is just how low energy availability can present. I'd mentioned a couple of different mechanisms from either inadequate energy intake. That can then be done intentionally with restrictive energy intake or unintentionally with maybe an athlete's overtraining. Or I see it in these transitions when an athlete maybe goes from middle school to high school, JV to varsity, high school to college, where the intensity and the volume of their sport increases. Maybe they start to feel more pressure. Maybe they start to compare their body to another athlete's body. and, And that's where these more subtle subclinical behaviors start to take place. And I think what worries me the most and what's hardest to see is when an athlete who is maybe unintentionally taking in food or overtraining flips to intentionally restrict because that athlete thinks she's getting a competitive edge and she's going to run faster or make the team, or maybe there is an aesthetic component too. So that's where it's really hard and I think it's um, really important to recognize those trends both as a coach, both um, as, a, as a physician during annual physicals, as a parent, or even just as a teammate.
0: To continue listening to this episode, please go to voiceinsport.com and sign up for free to join our community. Emily goes on to talk about Red S prevention and her biggest tips for ACL and bone injury prevention and recovery. Head to minute number 45 to get started on voiceinsport.com. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Elizabeth Martin, a soccer player at Emory University. We are beyond grateful for Emily to share all of the wisdom that she dropped with us today. We are so excited to see all the incredible things she will achieve in sports science and research for female athletes. You can follow Emily on Instagram or Twitter at Emily Krause MD, or find her on the Voice and Sport community at Voiceandsport.com. Please subscribe to the Voice and Sport Podcast, give us a rating and review on Apple, and send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice And if you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at Voice to get started. When you join Voice in Sport, you can gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from pro athletes, and access the top viz experts in sports psychology, nutrition, and sports science. See you next week on the Voice in Sport podcast.